0: Hi, this is Pastor John. On July 30th, I will be attending a national convention of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in Milwaukee as a pastoral delegate. As I will not be in the pulpit preaching on July 30th, I thought to share with you a sermon that I preached earlier uh, this month on July 16th. And even if you do not attend an LCMS church, you may be interested in the message, since the LCMS follows the general downward demographic trend of Christian churches in North America. In the sermon, I'm trying to maintain what I see is a paradox between the Old Testament reading of Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 13, and the Gospel reading from Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. Despite the challenges, may you be encouraged to keep sowing God's all-powerful word to your family, friends, and community. God's blessings. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, right now, the future... The future of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod doesn't look very promising. That's a quote. Uh, it's a quote from an article that uh, that was written recently by one of my uh, seminary professors, Dr. Paul Robbie. He goes on to tell the story of the LCMS in numbers, and he remembers when the synod had three million members, and now it is estimated to be one 7 million, and he estimates that, about half, 50% of the total number is inactive, so the real number is probably around 800,000 active Missouri Synod Lutherans. The number of congregations is down also from 6,000 to 5,700. He also heard that 25% of congregations worship fewer than 25 people. There is a huge clergy and church worker shortage. Uh, the makeup of the synod is older and grayer. In two weeks' time, I travel to to uh, the LCMS convention in Milwaukee. I go as a pastoral delegate, along with other representatives of the circuit and lay delegates, including lay delegates. Representatives uh, from all around the uh, the nation. Um, representatives of the Missouri Synod, Dr. Robbie thinks that the question of the convention should be this. What is the future of the Missouri Synod in the United States? Good question. The story of our church body and numbers of our, of our church is bleak. Maybe I should have started with uh, something more positive, and if the business of conventions and Missouri Synod doesn't particularly interest you, then just pose the question at a more local level about your own local congregation. The congregations of the Sand Hills Lutheran Ministry share some of the same demographic uh, woes of its denomination. So, what is happening? Or perhaps more accurately, why is this happening? Uh, is it my fault? Is it our, our collective fault? I got to thinking about the story of the Missouri Synod in light of our Old Testament and gospel readings. The Old Testament reading from Isaiah has this confidence that God is going to send his word out and it is going to accomplish its, what it purposes. We expect bread for the eater, But what happens in the gospel reading instead is that in three of the four soils, the word does not accomplish what it is sent to do. It almost sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? God says, I'm going to send out my word. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what it purposes. And then we got Jesus sharing a word and telling a story about sharing the word, and it doesn't always accomplish what you expect it to do. To me, that's that's not a contradiction. It is a paradox. Uh, You know, two things can be true at the same time. And I'm proposing the following statement of the paradox. God has an all-powerful word that can be resisted. God has an all-powerful word that can be resisted. It is an all-powerful word. It does what God desires it to do. It has the ability to bring life where there is death and to change things, to create a world. It is an all-powerful word, but it is able to be resisted. In the case of the soils, even though God's word is all-powerful, you and I can resist his word. This, so you have this paradox. And you would say an all-powerful word then means that it can't be resisted. Or you would say, well, if I can resist, if I can resist it, then it's not all-powerful. But these are two truths that are present at the same time when it comes to the Word of God. Well, God has an all-powerful Word that is able to be resisted. Our desire is to resolve this paradox. To be clear, trying to resolve the paradox leads to problems, as we will see. But it is human nature just to try to resolve the paradox, rather than live in the tension between two truths. And then how do, we, how do we try to resolve this paradox? Well, to put the power of the word, here's one way, to put the power of the word dependent on the person who hears it, or to suggest that those who hear it have more ability than they do. Because in a way, not only is it resistible, it will be resisted, in that case, you are denying that the word is all-powerful, and instead you're emphasizing something else. You're emphasizing that something needs to be added to it. Maybe a, maybe a special prayer. Or maybe we need to add some you know, pyrotechnics, some fireworks, make it dazzle, dazzling, and make the word really interesting. Or use the best marketing techniques to put that, carefully cultivated seed in just the right place. Well, my personal efforts and our collective efforts have failed to turn this declining numbers situation around, but perhaps the problem is the possessive pronouns. Is it my parish and my effort? Is it our parish and our efforts? Whose church is it? Am I the sower using the best marketing techniques to put that carefully cultivated seed into just the right place? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, yes, I do know. Or is he the sower and the word? Do you and I need to get ourselves out of the center of this paradox, of this parable, I mean, and this whole picture? Well, yes. Jesus is able to take that burden from your and my shoulders. God's goals are great, but his methods leave you and me, you know, can leave us flummoxed. Uh, His word seems weak and the world only seems to uh, respond to power. Uh, God sees this differently. He's not interested in the obedience which bows its knees or knee before power. He's after hearts, your heart. And his all-powerful word is the best way to do that. So what is God after? Well, he's not after your comfort, nor has he particularly asked for your or my advice. He doesn't need your money or your time or anything else. He's after hearts, your heart. His word is the best way to do that. He wants you, and he wants what is best for you. And to that end, he's given us rules uh, which are for our blessing. He has given us prophets to call us back to him. But most of all, he has given us his only begotten son. Jesus went to Calvary's cross because he was after your joy and peace. And this is what Isaiah promised in our Old Testament text. Uh, This joy is a result of God's all-powerful word, in that you and I shall go out with joy and be led forth in peace. And even if it takes a while to see the seed sprout, or even if you don't see the fruit right away, it is an all-powerful word. Earlier in the chapter, in Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah speaks of the steadfast love that God has for David being shared with all. Remember David's story? God's purpose is life. And this is the covenant with David, who sinned egregiously uh, with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. Yet David was always precious to God. Remember, he was a a bit of a stinker sometimes. (laughs) He committed adultery, murdered to cover it up, lied and along the way broke about every commandment. David was not beloved because he got his life right, but he was loved by God, and that is the gift which Isaiah notes for us today, and the fact is we expect pardon and forgiveness from God, and we expect it because he promises it, and that is the reason for joy. All right, well, let's... let's so I'm going to repeat again the paradox. God has an all-powerful word that is able to be resisted. And now let's take a look at another way that we might try to you know, resolve or fix this paradox that God has an all-powerful word that can be resisted. We might say that his word is all-powerful, but God just doesn't want to save that person. Well, wow. but what does God say about this teaching that God does not want to save this or that person. Well, from 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We can point to this passage, we can point to other passages like John three sixteen and others that say the same thing in a different way. Namely, that God desires all people to be saved. But let's make this personal. God loves you. God's word says it. God's son, the living word, has made it so by laying down his life and rising from the dead for you for the forgiveness of sins. It is God's desire to save you and me and your children and your grandchildren, your friends and your neighbors. In this regard, you can cling to these promises made to you. Ezekiel 18, verse 23, have I any pleasure? God's speaking here. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Jesus said in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I'll never turn away. Romans 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What a great promise. In fact, just read all of Romans 8. As, one said, as somebody said, all is great in Romans 8. All right? Just read the whole chapter. And how about this promise? This is my body, this is my blood for you, for the forgiveness of sins. God has an all-powerful word that can be resisted. Even Jesus had people walk away from him. Paul got kicked out of many of the towns in which he preached.
1: The miracle
0: of God's word is that it works in a most gentle and resistible way. God loves your yes to him. So he preserves your ability to say no. You and I regularly exercise that no option if we are to be honest. People regularly exercise that no option. It can be discouraging. uh, And it often means that our Discipleship, our, our life of discipleship, and often our ministry towards others is hard. But it does not mean that the kingdom has failed, or his word is defective, or the service that we render is somehow unwelcome to God. Jesus proclaims the parable of the sower today, and Matthew recorded it to a persecuted people who felt like everything was collapsing around them, they were wondering if they had failed or if God had abandoned them, we might feel the same way. Jesus tells us about a strange farmer, a sower, who casts his precious seed everywhere. Now, I know a few farmers. Uh, They are more careful than this guy. (laughs) During these past three weeks, I have worked in in uh, many fields um, of, of farmers. And I know this. They don't throw their, their good seed onto Highway 34 for a semi-trailer, you know, tractor-trailer to uh, truck to just run it over. They don't throw it into the ditch with, in the weeds. It is sown only in the good soil. And even if they are careful, their crop can be destroyed in 10 minutes by a hailstorm. Like, what happened? to a farmer near Waco. And this was the second year in a row that his corn was wiped out by hail. The reason why I'm telling you this little story is to make a contrast. Farmers, ranchers have to be careful. The sower sows his seed everywhere. He is reckless You could say that God is the same way. He casts the seed of his word with reckless love, as the the hymn writer puts it. Jesus is not doling out farming advice here, or ranching advice. He is telling us something about the kingdom of God. The word, the seed, is a good seed, but to our eyes it does not always seem to work. It can be choked out, plucked, away or wither without adequate root. In fact, it appears that three out of four times it does not work. It is resistible. But sometimes the seed falls on fertile soil, which yields 30, 60, or 100 fold. Now, no farmer expects yields like that. But with God, the impossible is possible. And we sow in hope. We sow in hope. And I do not have the answers why so many churches are failing in North America today. I do not know. It is a mystery to me too and many others. What I do know and what we know collectively is God has an all-powerful word that is able to be resisted. And living in that tension normalizes the situations that we face. It helps you and, and it helps me to live faithfully knowing that God has an all-powerful word that your friend can resist. I do know that, I do know this, I do know that Jesus cares for his church. He is the Lord of his church. He continues to send out his disciples as missionaries into this this world. Uh, It is his church. It's not yours. It's not mine. He works good through those little and shrinking places. And what is more, he has things in mind which you or I, cannot imagine. The good news today is found in the sower. The sower is the one who is powerful and desires all men, all people to be saved, you and all around you. And even in the world that is resisting Christianity where the church is saying, oh, we got to circle the wagons and shut the doors because we're under attack. No, and I hope I don't hear that at the convention. No, the world is resisting Christianity. Well, God has an all-powerful word. And go out and preach it, even if it is able to be resisted. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.